Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. Judy and I just uh, recently got back from a trip south, some warmer weather, and it was great. We, I like to escape as much as possible, as much as I can in the schedule during the cold months because I need light therapy. And I'm not talking about from a lamp. I need the real thing. And so we try and build it into the schedule to go south as much as we can at this stage in our life. And uh, I do realize seasonal depression is a real thing with lots of people. There's feeling of fatigue and uh, winter depression. People uh, are, are waking up in the morning. They have trouble waking up in the morning. They have all kinds of issues associated with that. I read an article about it this week, something I never realized before. They say if you have winter depression, one of the, uh, one of the uh, results of that could be a craving for starchy foods. And includes pasta. And I thought, well, there it is. I got winter depression like all year. <laughs> so I try and run away from some of that. But I want to talk to you today about something that you and I cannot run away from, no matter how hard we try. Uh, there's some things in life that you just can't run away from. One of them, of course, is God himself, right? Try and run away from God. What happens? You run into him. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. They, they tried to run away from God after they sinned. They tried to hide themselves, which we try and do all the time, as if God's not going to find us. He actually went looking for them. You have the creation trying to run away from the creator. That's not going to work. And so when you try and run away from God, folks, it don't work. Many times you run into him, and, so, and sometimes he's searching you out. Some of you may be experiencing that right now. Well, we all do this from time to time. We all try and run away from God or something that we know he wants us to do. We try and outrun God, and, and sometimes it's just exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting trying to do that. I want to talk to you about something today you just simply cannot run away from. You can, especially if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, and that's the issue of forgiveness. You have got to forgive everyone, and I mean everyone that's ever hurt or offended you. Why? Because Jesus commanded it. You have to forgive everyone and anyone who has ever hurt you, abused you, or wronged you. You have got to get to this place called forgiveness. Here's the verse, Matthew chapter 6. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins... Your father will not forgive your sins. Now, I've heard some people say, well, that's okay. Well, yeah, really? You want to spend eternity in hell separated from God because you choose not to, and stubbornly to forgive somebody else? That's the deal. Jesus is saying it about as clear as you can. You cannot run away from this, Christian. 
You want to be forgiven for all the stuff that you've done against me? Then you better forgive others for other, what, whatever stuff they've done against you. Paul puts it this way. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. God says, get rid of all that stuff. The bitterness, the anger, the lack of forgiveness, get rid of it. Now, what I want to do today is show you how that's done. How to unpack this thing called biblical forgiveness. I want to talk to you about seven aspects of God's kind of forgiveness. The kind of forgiveness he gives you and the kind of forgiveness he expects you to give to others. Seven aspects. You ready? Number one, it is rarely easy to do this. In fact, the deeper the hurt, the greater the wrong done to you, the harder it is to forgive somebody. It's just flat out hard to do. And the Bible doesn't mask this over at all. You know, if I were to ask you this morning, what is the theme of the Psalms? Many of you would say, joy, singing, worship, praise. You'd all be wrong. You know what the theme of the Psalms is? All those Psalms? The main theme? Complaining. Read it. They're all complaining. David, a man after God's own heart, is constantly in the Psalms complaining. Lord, they're just against me. I'm tired of it. I've been hurt. I've been abused. Nail them, Lord. You, you read the Psalms. Do a study. When you get to the last six, yes, it ends in worship. But it's mostly complaining. Psalm 35. They repay me evil for good. I am sick with despair. But they are glad now that I'm in trouble. They gleefully join together against me. I'm attacked by people I don't even know. They slander me constantly. They mock me. They call me names. They snarl at me. How long, O oh Lord, will you look and do nothing? So let's get it on the table to begin with. What we're talking about here today, this command that Jesus expects us to do, it's hard. Second aspect. You can still forgive. Listen to me. Look up here. God will never ask you to do anything in this life that he won't first provide for. He'll never ask you to do anything in your own strength, in your own power. He will provide. That's the issue. Listen, if somebody says to me, Pastor, you don't know how I was hurt. I can't forgive that person. I want to stop him right there and go, wait a minute, Christian. If it's a non-Christian, I get it. But if it's a believer, I go, stop right there. You are telling yourself a lie. When you say, I can't forgive, here's what you're telling yourself. I won't forgive. Act of my will, I won't forgive. Don't tell me you can't forgive because that violates what Scripture says. It says you can do this, Christian. It may be difficult. You will not feel like doing it, but you can get to a place where, yes, you actually have forgiven a person. Here's the verse. Write it down. Philippians 4.13. I can do some things. No, I can do all things through Christ 
Who will strengthen me? This, when we talk about biblical forgiveness, we're talking about a supernatural event in your life. God actually gives you the power and the, the, the uh, ability to actually forgive someone the way God forgives. It's a miracle. It's the miracle of forgiveness. And many of us here who have gone down this path have experienced it. And you can honestly say, it's not me that's forgiving, but God has given me the ability to forgive this person. And we're going to unpack that, what that means. But you can make a decision of your will, Christian, not your emotions, your will. You can forgive anybody, and I mean anybody who's wronged you. It's hard. You can still do it. Three. The news gets worse. Your forgiveness has to be unlimited. That's the point of Jesus' answer to Peter. His question in Matthew 18, let's read it. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times. Seventy-seven times. Keeping record and counting how many times you've forgiven somebody has nothing to do with what the Bible calls forgiveness. In fact, the Jewish rabbis of the day, they had a number. Three. Three strikes and you're out. I don't know if that's where it came from, but they had, they had the number three. They said three times you, you have to forgive somebody. After three, you don't have to forgive them anymore. And Peter here thinks he's being extremely generous and godly with Jesus. He says, how about it? Seven, Lord. I got to forgive him seven times. And Jesus trumps him and goes, no. Had to try 70 times seven, Peter. In other words, he's telling Peter, it's unlimited. It's unlimited. It doesn't happen all at once. Every time you may forgive somebody, and then two weeks later, you see them, emotions, memories come up. You want to nail them, and, and, and you say, well, it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. You got to keep doing it over and over and over and over again. You forgive somebody unlimited amount of times. It's hard. You can still do it, Christian, in Christ's power. It's unlimited. Number four. You are supposed to show mercy first. You don't wait for somebody else. I've, heard, I've had people come up to me, go, Pastor, isn't it biblical that they have to ask for forgiveness? I mean, the Bible does say somebody has to repent before God forgives them. Aren't they supposed to ask for forgiveness? The fact that they wronged me? No. You have to forgive first. Well, how do we know that? Go to the book. Luke chapter 23. Look at this. This is at the cross. You talk about a time when it's hard to forgive first. At the cross. Two other men, both criminals, were, laid, were let out with him to be executed. Jesus. When they came to the place called the skull, or Golgotha, they crucified him there. Along with the other criminals. One on his right, one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father... Forgive them. Now, it's just not the criminals. Forgive, forgive all these Jews. Forgive all these Romans. Forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Question. Has any of those Jews or Romans asked for forgiveness? Have any of them repented? Answer. Nada. No. Has Jesus forgiven them? He just prayed to the Father to forgive them. Why? Because he's going to provide forgiveness. 
Forgiveness, he's going to take on first. He, you forgive first. Now, there's some, left some unfinished business. Pastor, do they have to repent? Of course they do. Eventually, to receive full forgiveness, for them to experience it, they've got to repent. But it, on Jesus' end, he's already forgiven them at the cross. Every time we do the Lord's Supper, I tell people this. It's not an issue of whether God's forgiven you for that stuff you've done. He's already done it. And in fact, he's already paid for it. You have to receive it. Jesus has already forgiven them. I, you know, I use this illustration with people all the time. Because, you know, the Bible says, confess your sins to God and, and, and ask for forgiveness. And why do we have to do this? He's already forgiven us in Christ. Well, the illustration I give them usually is, look, I don't have a watch. I don't have my watch on today. I usually do. But I have, I have a watch that I wear. And if I had it in my office and I took it off and I put it on my office desk and you were walking through the church and you looked past by my little office, which used to be really big. Now they give me a really small, <laughs> small office. Like, and I got to go like this to sit down in it. Anyway, uh, I got this office, and I put, I put it on the, ch and, and you go by, and you see, my ch uh, you see my watch, and you grab my watch, and you steal my watch. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's two things going through my head if that happened. I'm telling you, this is the absolute truth. Number one, I'll feel sorry for you, because you know why? I, I buy cheap watches. <laughs> I buy Timex watch. I never replace the battery. I throw it away. I buy another one for 25 bucks. I mean, I buy cheap watches. So I'm thinking, you got to be pretty bad. You not only stole something that's worth nothing, you stole the pastor's watch in the church. Wow. I feel sorry for you. But the second thing I'm thinking of is, you know what? How desperate somebody must be. They got to steal something like that. I've forgiven you. And no issue. I've forgiven you already. Now, what happens, though, if you find out that I found out that you stole my watch? And you come to church on Sunday, and I'm walking in the hub one direction, and you're walking in the other direction, and we're, we're just primed to hit one another head on. And you know that I know that you stole my watch. What are you going to be doing? You're going to be like this. You're not going to want to look at me. Is it an issue of forgiveness? Nope. I already forgiven you. The relationship is broken. And that's why Jesus says, you know, you constantly, you should ask for forgiveness for things that you know you did wrong. Why? Forgiveness has been done at the cross. But the relationship needs to be repaired. You're supposed to show mercy first. You've already been forgiven. And that's why you're supposed to follow the, the model of Jesus who already forgave, already forgave, even before the people admitted anything. And so when you're dealing with somebody who's offended you, you're to take the initiative first. Now, where the rubber meets the road is, Pastor, how do, how do I do this? How do I actually forgive them ahead of time? And there is, I've mentioned this before, there's always a three-step process in forgive, forgiving the Jesus way. Three steps. You might want to write these down. Number one, 
you have to take the hit. Take the hit, right? When Jesus goes to the cross, what does he do? He takes the hit for you and I, right? There's some people who believe in this thing, purgatory. Uh, there's a theological term for that. It's called baloney salami. <laughs> there is no place called purgatory. Trust me. I know we have a whole group of people that disagree, but go search your Bible. You won't find it. It ain't in there. Is you, what you'll find is heaven, hell. That's it. No second chance. No way to work off your sins after you take your last breath. No purgatory. Heaven, hell. That's it. Jesus takes all of your sins, past, present, even the ones you haven't committed yet, and in one act at that cross, he dies for it. He takes the hit so that you don't have to experience any kind of suffering in fictitious purgatory or hell. You don't have to, you don't have to take anything. You don't have to pay for it. He pays for it in one act at that cross. That's why he came to die. Listen, if you could pay off your sins, Jesus doesn't need to come to die. He has to die because it's the only way your sins and my sins can be paid for. So he took the hit. So if I'm going to forgive the way Jesus forgave me, I got to be willing to take the hit. Well, what does that mean, pastor? That means, listen, the person who offended you, the person who hurt you or abused you, you can't expect for them to pay for it. You're going to give up all attempts to ask God, which people do. Psalmist did it. All kinds of ways you're going to want to pay that person to pay for what they did for you. You're going to give up on that. Why? Because you're going to follow the model of your Savior who took the hit for you. So you're going to say, look, I'm not going to expect that person to pay for what they did to me. There's been enough pain here. I'm going to take the hit. Step one. Step two. I have to do spiritual surgery now. I have to separate from that person what they did to me. That's here. The person is here. Now, again, we're talking something that only God can do through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. But you can do this, Christian. And why? Because that's exactly what Jesus does for you. You know, you know the picture, the word picture it uses in the Bible? It says, when Jesus dies at that cross... He takes your sins and throws them as far as the east is from the west. That's an indefinite line. And basically, the picture is, he's going to take your sins and separate it from you. So when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see any of those sins attached to you. He doesn't see all those things you're ashamed of. They have been thrown to the east and to the west. Why? Because God always wants to give you a fresh start and separate you from sin. In the Old Testament... Clear picture, day of atonement, when the high priest, the chief priest would go in to represent the people. Two goats, one to be sacrificed because blood has to be spilt for sin to be atoned for. But then the other one's called a what? Scapegoat into the wilderness. He put his hands on the head of the goat, representing all the sins of the people on this goat, into the wilderness, gone forever. Why? Separate the sins from the people. If you're going to forgive the Jesus way, you got to give up trying to make that person pay. I'm going to take the hit. Second, undo spiritual surgery when I see them. In Christ, I can do this. I'm going to separate that thing. That thing's over here. It's not attached to them anymore because I've forgiven them in Christ. Third step. As much as it's possible, 
and I'm going to unpack this a little bit later for you. You need to be willing to have a new relationship with that person, having taken the hit, having done the spiritual surgery, if it is appropriate and so, and God allows it, you need to be open to a new reconciled relationship. That's how Jesus forgives. So when you take the initiative first, this is what he's asking you to do, to go through that three-step process. You're to take the lead. Pastor, I can just hear it now, people inside them. You don't know how badly I was hurt. It was a big deal. It, it, it was a big deal. I'm not saying it wasn't. I, I, I wasn't. I'm not trying to paint the picture that you weren't hurt very, very badly, but you still got to forgive just like Jesus forgives you because it is the gospel. Listen to me. There is no way a person in Christ can go to the cross and go, forgive me, Lord, all the stuff I'm ashamed of, forgive me, and then turn around and say, I'm not going to forgive you. No, I won't do it. That's a violation of the gospel. You have just violated the gospel. For you to receive unlimited forgiveness and grace and turn around and go, no, I won't give it to you, is a violation of the gospel that saved you. And that's why Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive each other. If any of you has a, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all things, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Number five. Forgiveness is always followed by trust. Now look up here. I am not saying forgiveness is trust. Okay? I can forgive you in Christ. I can take the hit. hit. I can do spiritual surgery and separate that thing away from you. All of that is still not trust. I can forgive you, but that doesn't mean I automatically trust you. I want to trust you. I'm open to trusting you. I'll work towards trusting you. But trusting you is going to take time, and that's got to re be rebuilt on the other person's end. Listen to me. Understand this. Biblical forgiveness is, is, it takes care of the past damage, right? It throws it as far as the east is from the west. And if they hurt you again, you have to forgive whatever was done for you. But listen, that's not saying I'm going to open myself up to all kinds of abuse and hurt and pain because that's what God would want from me. He's not saying that. People think that. They think that if I, if I forgive the way Jesus wants me to forgive, that's a doormat theology. No, no, it's not. Women come to me all the time who have been terribly abused, and they go, Pastor, you're asking me to be abused again. I said, no, I'm not. I'm asking you to forgive because that's what Jesus expects from you. Well, what about the future? Well, now that's involving trust, and it needs to be a healthy relationship. Now, if you're on that end, if you've been the one that have hurt or offended or abused, how do you gain trust? Three ways. 
Number one, you got to repent. You got to truly show the other person that you are, you're broken. You have heartfelt sorrow over what you did to them. That'll regain trust. Secondly, there needs to be change in your behavior. And that takes time. It takes time to discern, right? Because people can fool people a lot. So you have to build trust. Matthew chapter 3. Listen to what Jesus says here. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Build some trust. And then number three, it's going to take time. It doesn't happen overnight. Yes, I can forgive in a moment's time. I really can. By the grace of God, I can show you grace and mercy. But trust has to be earned. So what is biblical forgiveness like? It's hard. It's not easy. Christian, you can still forgive in Christ. It's unlimited. You show mercy first. Don't wait for them to ask forgiveness or repent. And number five, forgiveness is followed by trust. Number six, forgiveness is not forgetting. Oh, man. How many times I hear this? You know, well, if I forgive, God, God wants me to forget about it. No, he doesn't. He doesn't expect you to do that. Try it. It doesn't work. You can't forgive. The deeper the hurt, the more you're going to remember it. You can't forget. God doesn't expect you to do that. But here's what he does expect you to do. I believe God expects you to replace that memory or that thought with something else. And I believe the God-honoring way you deal with this is to replace it. It could be a variety of things. You could replace it, first of all, of course, with God's word. You could also replace it with something redeeming. Right? Like maybe how God has used this thing in your life. As painful as it was, as hurtful as it was, it's made me a better Christian. It's made me a better leader or a follower of Jesus. I can thank God for that. Look, I'm not going to thank God for what was done to me. That was maybe very evil and wrong. But I can thank God for what has developed, how he's used it in my life redemptively. You need to replace that thought with something. It's... it's um, um, my wife, last week, I think it was, she came to me and she said, you know, I had this woman uh, come to me this week and, and she was telling me about all the things that, are, that uh, her husband does that bugs her, that she's frustrated with and she hates. And so I started telling her about all the things that bug me about you and, I, and that you do. And I go, I, wait a minute here. Stop using me as an illustration for all of your teachings. And she goes, well, it's true, though. I mean, it's so, it's so, you know, I do a lot of stuff. It bugs me. It frustrates me. And I was telling her, this is what I do. I replace that. Whenever I'm thinking about something that's really bugging me, I replace it with things that I love about you that you really do well. And I go, wow, that's a lot of things. I mean, you can. <laughs> that's what we're talking about here. It's not forgetting, but you can replace it with something else. And then number seven. Forgiveness, this is very important, is fueled by receiving God's love. What do I mean by that? It's simply this. The more you receive God's love, the more you understand how much God loves you and how patient he's been with you and how merciful he's been with you, the better you're going to have, the better you're going to be at dishing it out. Look at this scene in Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. 
Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to him, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. She's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she's anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who's forgiven little shows only a little love. And Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. What's the point? He's saying this woman knows personally how much mercy and love and forgiveness she's been given by God. And so it's almost, it's almost a natural response. She's going to give out a lot of love herself. Forgiveness is fueled by receiving God's love. Now, look, I am not saying, I want to repeat this. I'm not saying any of this stuff is easy. I'm not saying that God won't even challenge you in the future with this. Life is full of hurts. It is. It's full of betrayals and pain. But have you ever thought to consider, you know, God is in the details. And he's got a detailed plan for my life. And the fact that I experienced this, as awful as it was, before the foundation of the world, when God knew he was going to call me into his kingdom, he looked at that and said, you know what? I don't take joy in any of my children hurting. He is the most loving father you could ever imagine. But you know what? We're going to include that in the plan. Because I am going to do the great reversal and use it for good. The classic example of this, of course, in the Old Testament is Joseph. You know the story, many of you. One day his brothers gang up on him. They sell him to a slave merchant. And uh, they tell his dad that he was killed by a wild beast. I mean, Joseph's got problems, big time problems. He's sold into slavery. Uh, his master's wife hits on him and she tries to seduce him. He, he doesn't respond, so she frames him for rape. He's thrown in prison. And I'm sure he's thinking, why me, Lord? Why all these kinds of problems? His brothers were so jealous of him. But what is God's plan? God's plan is to allow all of that to happen. Joseph's in prison because eventually he's going to interpret a dream for the Pharaoh. He's going to come into favor with the Pharaoh and eventually be second in command. He's going to have the second chair. And in that chair, he's going to come up with a plan to stockpile grain for seven years while there's this terrible famine throughout the whole land, Egypt, and even the land of Canaan. And it's even going to save his brothers and his father. So at the end of, the, end of it all, in Genesis 50, it says this. Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the savings of many lives. Look up here. You're going to get hurt in this life bad. It's just the way it is. And God's going to allow it. He's going to allow some of it. 
and he intends to use it for good if, if you're willing to trust him. And after you've gone through that hurt, remember this, Christian, God expects you to forgive. You have to forgive, just like Jesus forgave you. Last verse, Romans chapter 8. And we know that in all things, God works for the good. Now, let me stop right there. It doesn't say everything is good, okay? When you abuse somebody, abuse is not good. Cancer is not good. All of that is not good. But God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who's against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yeah. The great reversal. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, I'm sure in some ways this has hit home with all of us. All of us almost, almost on a weekly basis experience a hurt, an abuse, a, a pain from someone. And uh, if we don't learn to live and follow your command to forgive. This life's going to be awful. I pray, God, that you'll build in some disciplines. You'll help us today to trust you for the power to do this and to put some stakes in the ground that from now on, we're going to be a person who forgives. Thank you, Jesus, for providing everything we need for life and godliness. And now to him who's able to do immeasurable